Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools we need to change. It's great to have you here with us today. And most of all, I hope wherever you're listening right now and whatever the setting is, whether you're walking or driving or in your home office, I hope you'll hear something today that will improve your way of thinking, that will open your eyes a bit more to who you are and what you can become. One morning, a rancher was working on his fence when a federal agent pulled up, got out of his car and announced, I'm here to inspect your ranch for illegally grown drugs. The rancher pointed and said, okay, no problem, but do not go in that field over there. Well, the federal agent got angry and red-faced and says, Mr., I have the authority of the federal government with me. And reaching into his pocket, he pulls out his wallet, opens it up and shows the rancher and says, see this badge, old man? This badge means I'm allowed to go on any land, any place, and any field I want. Have I made myself clear? And the rancher apologizes and goes back to his chores. A short time later, however, the old rancher hears screaming. And he looks up and sees the federal agent is running through the field, chased by a huge Brahma bull. With every step the agent makes, the bull gains two. And just a few seconds before the bull is about to step on the agent, the rancher stands up and yells, Your badge! Show him your badge! Like having a badge, we often give ourselves labels. And we buy into those labels, and we often act accordingly. Now, sometimes labels are nothing more than the meaningless badge in the arena of life. And at other times, labels can be powerful. And the words we use with those labels can have great impact. Recently, at MIT, students of an economics class thought they had reasons to relax and be happy when a representative walked into their classroom and told them that their instructor was sick. But before they could pack up and run away, they were told, but you have a substitute, and he would teach that day. They were each given in advance a written description of the substitute professor and his background. Now, one half of the class was given one description, and the other half was given a different description. But the difference between the two was only one word. In one of the sentences, the instructor was referred to as either warm or cold, and the rest of the lengthy description was the same. At the end of the class period, the students were asked to complete a questionnaire about the professor. And it wouldn't surprise you to know that those who received the warm description rated the teacher as pleasant, warm-hearted, and popular, humorous, while the others rated him as self-centered, formal, unpopular, and ruthless. In other words, a single word had the power to alter the student's perception of the professor. But the most revealing element of all of this is that we do this to ourselves. One word, one thought can change our perception of ourselves and what we think we can do. By the very fact that we tell ourselves we're not able, or it might work for others and not me, or even that we're unhappy, does in fact not just change our view, but also the actual outcome of our efforts and life. So what if, instead of one word or thought telling us why not, that we found one word or thought telling us why we can. Jimmy Valvano often repeated a few of my favorite words. God must have loved ordinary people because he made so many of us. 
But every day in every walk of life, ordinary people do extraordinary things. You are extraordinary. And sometimes we need a reminder of just how precious we are in the eyes of our Maker. It's easy to lose sight of it, but this I know for sure. You have a purpose, and you are made to be exceptional. I feel this right to my core. I believe that regardless of our poor choices or mistakes of the past, we can change and choose that path that leads to our true purpose in life. Words are a big deal. They can bring joy. They can answer prayers. They can give belief and change perspectives. Have you ever changed your belief in something or someone based on words you've heard or read? If so, you're not alone. But very few people learn the talent of laying hold on words. In fact, two different people can hear the same words and one lay hold on them to change their life and the other pay no attention at all. I know the power of words from firsthand experience. You see, as a young man, I worked on a sod farm. So sod is, yes, that's the grass you have in your front yard. And, and you harvest this sod, stack it on pallets, and ship it out to new homes or commercial projects where they can have immediate grass. And we used a big harvester, a large diesel harvester that weighed about 14 ton to harvest the sod. It was mid-July, and I was assigned with my classmate to work on the back of the harvester. Now, the harvester would cut these strips of sod, these big strips that weighed about 40 pounds, and they would convey them from the front of the harvester to the back where my classmate and I would stack the sod on pallets. And we stood, we worked on two huge platforms that were over the rear wheels. And each side of the harvester on the rear had two sets of dual wheels. After about two hours of working, we were moving the harvester from one end of the field to the other, and I was walking along the slow-moving harvester. It was going about two miles an hour, and my friend was sitting on the platform talking to me while I walked alongside, and I thought I would jump up and sit next to him, but I misjudged my jump and landed only partway on the platform. I lost my balance and fell off the platform but I fell in front of the double set of moving dual wheels. Now, I immediately tried to scurry out of the path of the wheels, but the big knobby tires caught my high-top sneakers and started to run up my leg and threw me to the ground. Now, I quickly realized I was in quite a predicament. I was lying feet first. The double set of dual wheels of this 14-ton machine was about to run over me, starting with my feet and ending with my head. And there was nothing I could do about it. As the wheels rolled up my right leg, it broke my femur right above my knee, broke it in half. Next, as the big wheels rolled up, they crushed my pelvis. I'd never felt anything so painful ever in my life. Then as it started to roll up, it twisted me sideways and rolled over most of my chest, breaking most of my ribs and my back in two places. Then luckily, it rolled over my left shoulder, narrowly missing my head. As the wheels rolled off of me, I passed out. I lost consciousness. And the first thing I remember when I opened my eyes was the inconceivable pain. I couldn't breathe. I felt like I was underwater. I was trying to breathe, but it wasn't working the way it was supposed to work. I couldn't speak. I couldn't even cry out, even though I wanted to cry out for help. 
everything hurt. And I quickly grasped the fact that I was about to die. And honestly, the pain was so extreme that I wanted to die. I just wanted it to stop. Now, I later learned that I'd suffered a traumatic pneumothorax, or in simple terms, my lungs had collapsed. And if there's a puncture in your lung due to trauma, the air escapes from your lung into the area outside of your lungs, yet inside your chest cavity. And as a result, your lungs are pushed together by the air in your chest cavity like a wet paper sack. And the air inside your chest cavity is unable to escape. So it keeps your lungs from expanding. And this can lead to cardiac arrest or respiratory failure. Everything in my body was screaming for oxygen. And in my desperation to breathe, I had to expand my chest cavity to gather more air. And the pain of my broken ribs and back at even the slightest movement was more than I thought I could endure. Now, in a matter of minutes, the farm manager, Stan, arrived out of breath, and he could sense that I was in deep shock and on the verge of death. And he asked if I could move my legs, and I couldn't even respond to him. So he knelt on the ground and took my head in his hands, and he started to talk to me. For what, whatever reason, his words reached through my panic and pain. He told me I was strong. He prayed that I would live. And before that moment, it had never entered into my mind that I was going to live. The only thought I had had up until that moment was how long will this pain continue until I could die and make it go away? Stan continues, McKay, you'll walk again. I started to believe. He told me I would graduate from school and hold positions of leadership and marry and go to college and become a father. And these words had a profound effect on my thinking. It was as if there was this tremendous tug of war going on inside of me, and one end of the rope was panic and pain pulling me towards closing my eyes and giving up. And the other end was the hope Stan's words were giving me. And in spite of all that was going on around me, I started to see. I started to imagine the very words Stan was speaking to me. And when he'd say those words, I'd say to myself, well, maybe I can hold on just a little longer. And with each one of his declarations, I started to lay hold on what he was saying. I started to believe. It would be more than 15 minutes, which seemed like 15 years before the ambulance would arrive. And the hospital ordered the insertion of a chest tube, which meant they cut through my chest cavity and inserted a tube to evacuate the excess air from inside my chest. And it hurt so bad, I could barely cope when they did that. But after that, the pain in my chest subsided and I could breathe a little bit better. And it took almost a year for me to recover. And much of that time was spent flat on my back in bed. I had to learn to walk again. Walking was something I wasn't sure I would ever be able to do again. But I learned a lot about myself during that time. I learned that life is a gift. And I also learned that there are great power in words. There's great power in being able to see your future. As Stan told me, I did graduate, marry, go to college. My goal in graduate school was to get a master's degree and to work for Procter & Gamble, uh, the best marketing company in the world. It took a lot of sleepless nights and sacrifice and my own money and to earn a degree, but I got the job and I remember going to my first day of work. I parked my car down the road and across the freeway from P&G's headquarters in Cincinnati. And as I walked across the overpass bridge to my new job, I felt this huge sense of accomplishment. I had done it. I was about to start a career for which I had struggled and sacrificed. 
But suddenly, my thoughts changed. And you know what I noticed? I noticed I was walking. And I remembered the words of Stan when he said, you will walk again. This sudden rush of pins and needles hit me and brought on a flood of emotion. And there I was, dressed in my new suit, headed to my first day of professional work, crying like a baby as I walked into my new life. Now, I've reflected on that day many times. That day in July when I was run over, pain and circumstances kind of left me there to die. But Stan's words gave me this hope and belief. He gave me a new belief window. And this started my obsession with the concept of words and belief windows. And that obsession led me to a PhD in research on what enables human beings to believe and to change. And in that research, we demonstrated that words create our reality. Words we lay hold of build a window of belief through which we can view the world. Now, you at this very moment are living and filtering and thinking and seeing through the prism of your belief window. It can keep you from change or enable you to change. It has the power to do either. When you replace your belief window, you can replace old ways of thinking, old habits, old actions, and old ways of relating to the world. So in 2007, teaming up with my major professor, we led one of the largest studies on how people face their biggest challenges and win. The first thing we did in our research was to identify people who had overcome significant challenges. They'd made successful changes in their life and become more of who they want to become, successful leaders and people. Then we administered the Washington University Sentence Completion Test. <laughs> in this test, respondents complete answers to sentences. The way they complete the sentences gives insight to their belief window or their self-identity. And we also tested dozens of other factors, personality traits, age, race, education, wealth, work experience, and attitude. And we were trying to find the factor that enabled these individuals to change and become who they wanted to become. What we learned is that it wasn't age or experience or personality. What we found in the end, it was how a person viewed themselves, their sense of personal identity that was the single most powerful factor to a person's success. And then through a series of interviews, we explored how they formed this identity, this label that they had. The answer? They were able to lay hold of words that they heard or read and use those words as the catalyst and motive for change. Now, this was a fascinating discovery. You mean some people have the talent or ability to hear words and turn those words into action, and some people don't, and it literally enables them to change their life? And what enables some people to have this talent? Well, we subsequently went to work to discover the answers to those questions. And as we did, we learned there were two contributing factors to the people in our study and that enabled them to lay hold of words and change their life. The first factor was life circumstances had placed them in a position of humility. You see, there were divorces and job losses and other life conditions that caused the person to be seeking words that could help them. And within each of these people was a unique combination of humility and faith. They were humble enough to seek, to want the words, and faithful enough to place trust in those words that they were hearing. 
But not all of our study participants had suffered a life change. Some just naturally possessed the humility to listen and the faith to lay hold of the words and take action. Now, one participant was emerging from a failed marriage. He was now a single father of two children, and his divorce had robbed him of everything, including his self-esteem, his job, his home, everything. And believe it or not, he was reading one day, and the words of the book leapt from the book to his belief window. Every day, he would reflect on, repeat, and act on those words. Words have power to change. Now, the second factor, and perhaps the most significant, was this. The participants were able to fully focus on and give their full attention to what was needed for change. You see, sometimes we may hear words and we may have faith in those words, but life's distractions get in the way. The ability of these participants to fully focus is a concept that we called centering. Now, centering means you center your attention and effort on what is currently before you. It means that you do that thing that you're doing right then with all of your heart, your feeling and passion, your might, your energy, your mind, your focus, and your strength, your physical will. So if you're reading, give it all of your heart and mind. If you're a student in class, give it all your mind and strength. It means you're wholehearted, totally invested, you're engaged. Now, when I taught business strategy at the Marriott School of Business, I was amazed to see that wholehearted students got so much from my class and half-hearted students took away so little. Both types of students attended class for the same amount of time. Both were present for the same discussion, but some left enriched and others indifferent. Best-selling author Anthony Robbins says, one reason so few of us ever achieve what we truly want is we never direct our focus. We never concentrate our power. In fact, I believe most people fail in life simply because they major in minor things. Centering, giving all you have to the task at hand, helps us concentrate our power. Now, imagine you had several important tasks to complete today, and during the time you set aside to do each task, you did it with all your heart, mind, might, and strength. No distractions, no text messages, no Instagram. You gave each task your whole heart. Would you get more out of each day? Would you lay hold on more words, on more truth? Would you learn more? Yes, of course. You see, the currency of today is not time. People think that the scarce commodity is time because we're so busy, but it's not. It's attention. We have so many distractions in our life and in the palm of our hands on the screens around us that we've learned not to focus. As a result, we rarely lay hold on things that can positively influence us. Centering enables us to avoid distraction. Now, centering is a talent, an ability that can and will change your life. So it can be developed. Let's say your schedule today is uh, made up of chunks of time to do several important things. And what if during each chunk of time you centered entirely on that task? What you'll find if you do that is that you do more, more efficiently and quickly than you would otherwise. You're a better version of yourself. Now, centering works amazingly well in relationships. 
let's just say a father spending 15 minutes of fully centered time with his son. That's so much more effective than a father spending an hour of half-hearted time. Centering gives you a sense of purpose. It also gives you a sense of success. Because when you center, you learn more, you feel more, you succeed more. And that success, that feeling feeds your subsequent actions. Living a life as a centered person is immensely more rich and more fulfilling than a non-centered person. You can develop your ability to center by practice. Now, imagine a person who has made the decision to start a business. If they center on the critical activities of that business, not just half-hearted attempts, but wholehearted immersion, are they more likely to succeed? Yes, of course. And the most amazing thing about centering is this. When you get in the habit of centering, you start to apply it to all other areas of your life. Relationships improve. Your ability to play improves, to focus, to read, to learn. And you waste less time moving from task to task. You see, so much of our wasted time each day is spent in transitions from one thing to another. But centered people have the ability to transition and deeply immerse themselves in the next task very quickly. So these two key factors enabled our study participants to lay hold of words better than others. First, the unique combination of deep humility and trusted faith in the words they heard or read. And second, the ability to center their life on those things. That enabled our study participants to change life and to change themselves and to learn to change again and again for good. So as we close, remember, words are powerful. They can guide your life. Humility, trust, and wholehearted centering will enable you to lay hold of those words and change. In a future podcast, we'll talk about how to empower yourself with the right kind of words in your daily self-talk. But for now, in one important area this week, try to be more centered in your life. Listen to words with humility and faith and watch what happens. I think you'll see a huge difference. We'll talk about next steps to opening your eyes in our upcoming podcast. I look forward to being with you again soon.